Welcome to True Mysteries, Stories of the Strange and Unexplained. Yesterday, I turned the microphone over to our paranormal investigator, Ray Ruckus, who was telling his tale of a visit to Portlock, Alaska, where the entire population left in mass in one 24-hour period. Ray, I'll let you bring everybody up to date. Great. Thank you, Kit. I had flown, uh, actually rented a float plane in Homer, Alaska, paid $350, and the pilot gave me an earful about the hauntings and things going on around Portlock. I gave him an extra 100 bucks, so he'd pick me up at sunset. I did not want to be overnight in Portlock, Alaska. Now, I'll pick it up from there. I had motored in, tied up to a, a dock, or what was left of a dock, used the chest-high waders to get in without getting wet. I followed a path into the woods that after about 100 yards opened up to what must have been a dirt road. The story is that the residents took off in mass in 1949, just as Kip mentioned, leaving their houses, the nearby chromium mine, cannery, teacher cottage, large schoolhouse, to return to wilderness. This left Portlock as just another abandoned town in Alaska. Only the postmaster remained. After a year alone, even the post office closed. That was 1950, and the last resident of Portlock left town. So even the postmaster couldn't continue on in this town. Portlock experienced over 50 years of hauntings, murders, disappearances before the townspeople gave in and left. But as recently as 1970, fishermen forced to take refuge from a storm reported something strange that walked through their camp on two feet and then terrified them and they left as soon as possible. Seventy years after the haunting started, they were still continuing when people visited the area. And here I was. As I followed the overgrown dirt road, there was nothing much left of the town but remnants of foundations. After about a thousand yards, I came to some mining equipment and was sure I was being followed. I had about six hours to explore. I know that bear can be curious, and I stayed alert. I moved from foundation to piles of cut logs that must have been made up, uh, made up the cabins that had fallen in on themselves. There, that's where I came to the remnants of a four-plank door. On one side were deep scratches, five deep scratches. I lay my hand at the base of the scratches and spread my fingers as far as I could apart, and they were further. It was no evil or devil that haunted these woods. It was something real. I stood the door planks on end and figured it was seven feet, and then some if it was suspended slightly above the ground. That put the scratches at around six feet. Now, I'm six foot three, so whatever did this must have been at least my height. I let the planks fall onto a pile of logs, and that's when I heard a crashing in the woods. Now, I don't generally carry a weapon because uh, scenes of most hauntings are pretty benign. But on this trip, I brought my crossbow. It'll drive an arrow through a two-inch oak plank at 15 feet. I had ten arrows, and a crossbow was loaded. Any place other than Alaska, and I would have stayed at the water's edge, but at just less than 40 degrees, it would have made a poor escape route. I wouldn't last long. I moved onto the dirt road at a slow jog, glad when the mine came into sight, and then increased my pace to run. 
The mine just looked like a dark shadow on the side of a hill at first. Whatever was in the woods seemed to be matching my pace. Ten feet into the mine, the temperature must have dropped ten degrees. Pulling a flare from my butt pack, I kicked some wood splinters into a small pile and jammed in a mini flare and watched the fire grow. The smoke was blowing out, though, and I decided to find the source in the breeze. Ten minutes further into the mine revealed an air vent the size a little bit smaller than a manhole. I scrabbled up and out of the mine. This put me on a hill above the mine. Then I cautiously moved toward the entrance, so I was over, kind of looking down. I was about 20 feet above the entrance and watched in amazement, mixed with a little terror, as a hairy beast standing on two legs was swatting at the smoke that was billowing out of the mouth of the mine. Well, you can be sure I backtracked, ran parallel to the dirt road until I came to the trail that would take me to the dock. I hastily stepped into the waders, pulled them up to my chest, adjusting the suspenders, and waded out to the Zodiac, climbed in and pulling out a knife, cut the rope that I'd tethered to a piling. I pulled out past where the waves broke and watched the shore for Bigfoot. For almost two hours, I sat in that Zodiac, freezing my butt off. No doubt what I had seen, what had tracked me to the mine, was Bigfoot. By the time my float plane arrived, I was literally shaking from the cold, but I had a story, though I cursed myself for not bringing a camera. Without pictures, what I experienced would be just one more story. A story that no one would buy, certainly not a television network, and certainly an expense I could have done without. My next stop, unfortunately, would be the town of Whittier, Alaska, where the entire population lived in a 14-story apartment complex, including a ghost that walked the halls while whistling. Well, there I was, sitting in Homer, Alaska. Well, I flew back to Anchorage, booked another day, and it was kind of, well, like a reporter that I am and my brother. We investigate for a living, our bread and butter was based on selling stories. I booked another day in Anchorage to write of my encounter with Portlock, Alaska's Bigfoot. I was pitching it to various network producers as a short story, and all they'd need to do is put together some B-roll and I would narrate. After 20 calls, I had no takers. Whittier's whistling ghost was really going to have to pan out for a network to carry it. I was calculating expenses against deductions when my cell phone rang. Fantastic, I thought. One of the networks was going to run with Bigfoot. Turned out I was wrong. It was a kind of wrong that you can only pray for. Now, I've been studying the martial arts going on 50 years. My instructor lives in San Francisco, and I had a vague recollection that his parents lived in Japan. There was no exchange of pleasantries when Sensei called. Right out of the gate, he asked if I was still investigating weird stuff. I explained that depended on what he defined as weird stuff. He explained that his father was a physicist and had been on the island of Hokkaido following up rumors of a doorway to a fourth dimension, and he had vanished. Sensei explained the supposed doorway was located in some haunted woods that surrounded an old round schoolhouse and that their area could only be reached by foot, no roads. Locals claim that the surrounding woods are haunted by bobbing, mysterious lights and half-glimpsed shadowy figures, and the night is often pierced by screams as well as other less discernible noises. Well, that was enough to get me out of Anchorage. 
That and the fact that he would pay for my flight to Ireland and provide uh, room and board. But that's another story that I'll start tomorrow. This is Ray Ruckus. Join me tomorrow when I fly to Hokkaido, Japan, to visit a haunted schoolhouse and look for the fourth dimension through a doorway in that haunted schoolhouse. This is Ray Ruckus. Thanks for listening.